Their tongues are parched with thirst, but I, the Lord, will answer them. I, the God of Israel, will not forsake them. I will make rivers flow on barren heights and springs within the valleys. I will turn the desert into pools of water and the parched ground into springs. I will put in the desert the cedar and the acacia, the myrtle and the olive. I will set junipers in the wasteland and fir and cypress together so that people may see and know, may consider and understand the hand of the Lord has done this, that the Holy One of Israel has created it. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, today is the third Sunday. We're, we're actually at the, toward the end of a series we started just after Easter. It's called Here to There. And we're focusing on the reality that the life that we all lead in faith and in all sorts of other ways is less about the destination and it's more about the journey. In terms of faith, if you're looking for a church of people that have arrived, you didn't walk into the right church this morning. I'm sorry, you didn't log into the right one. And the truth is, there isn't one out there. We are all on a journey. And as I think about that, and I think about today being Mother's Day, I think, man, the same could be said about being a parent. Just this last September, Alyssa and I, we welcomed our fifth child into the world, Grayson, and, uh, and that, that's, that's mind-blowing in itself. And then on April, in April, just this last, this last month, um, our son Jacob, our oldest son, turned 13, and we became parents to a teenager. And I see more heads doing this. You know, there's, there's, there's a lot of differences, and there's some similarities, actually, between the two. But, but just the difference, right, to have children 13 years apart just reminds us every single day that life is a journey. And every season and stage is different. And so I say that to say that no matter where you find yourself today on that journey, in parenting or in faith, we can get challenged and we can get exhausted in every one of those seasons. How many people here are tired? Just show of hands. Can we just admit, okay? Many of us are. And so the question I want to ask is this. When you come up against a challenge... When you come up against exhaustion, when you come up against something, anything, what do you do? How do you respond? What is it that you reach for? And today being Mother's Day, Alyssa told me, she said, you know, for Mother's Day, Tom, I just, I I don't want anything. Tell the kids I don't want anything. I just need a few hours alone. Can anybody relate to that? I, I, I found, um, I found this, this video, it had gone viral a couple years ago, it was by a mom of quadruplets, and um, yeah, I hear people already going, woo, <laughs> they were f- two sets of identical twins at the same time, we have a baptism, you have one, they had four at the same time, and this video went viral, she calls it motherhood in 34 seconds, I think it's hilarious, you might too, let's watch. Dad's out shoveling the driveway. Mom desperately needed a treat to get through the rest of the night. So I'm hiding in the pantry. Eating a treat. Is that wrong? They don't ever go away. They want everything you have. (laughs) See? She's always there. That's it. (laughs) Can you see the hand? (laughs) 
I'm so glad I'm not the only one that finds that hilariously relatable. Life, right? Even, even the wonderful aspects of life, like the amazing miracle of parenting, can still leave us burned out at times. And so I want to bring us back to the original question that I shared. When you're in that moment, what do you do? What is it that you reach for? And, and I want to propose that there's really two options that we have. No matter what the answer to that question might be, the first thing we can do is we can numb out and the second thing that we can do is we can lean in. We can numb ourselves out or we can lean in. And so let's start with the first one. What does it mean to numb out? Every single Sunday morning, I am convinced, I am challenged, I am convicted by all of the moments that I numbed out over the last week. Every Sunday morning, I feel convicted. And it has nothing to do with church. I don't feel convicted about numbing out when I'm confessing my sins or when I come up for communion. When I feel convicted about the moments that I have numbed out over the last week is when my phone is scheduled to buzz and give me that little thing right there that says weekly screen time report. Does anybody else get this thing on their phone? Uh, some, some, of you, some of you are nodding. I, I actually, I was wondering if everybody gets it on Sunday morning or if Apple just knows that I'm a pastor and so they decided to send it to me. And I Googled that and I couldn't find the answer, but I did find like eight articles of how to disable it because that's what everybody wants. And then we were sitting having coffee after the eight o'clock service and everybody's like, oh, I got mine, oh, I got mine. So I guess it all comes to us on Sundays. But why? Why is that? Because it's convicting, right? It's humbling. That's why it makes me think about the times that I've used my phone. Because as much as I tell myself, and we tell ourselves, right, in the advancement of technology, that these little devices we carry in our pockets are made to communicate and to stay connected with our loved ones, how many times it tells you what apps you used, right? How many times were you not using it for that, but you're just scrolling through Facebook or watching TikTok videos? How do you think I found that video that I just showed you, right? Like, like how often are we using it for those reasons? Maybe absorbing yourself into the news cycle, that, that whatever it is, to, to avoid whatever is going on around you that you just don't feel like you have the capacity to deal with. And, and if it's not your phone, it, maybe it's something else. I mean, we have all sorts of tools, right? Like, like alcohol or shopping or exercise or gossip is a really good one, right? Because it's a lot easier to talk about someone else's problems than to live inside of your own. Sex, pornography, just being busy. How many of us stay busy because if we're honest, we wouldn't know what to do with ourselves, if we didn't have anything else to do. These are all examples, and we all have them, and we're all guilty of them. These things that we turn to to self-medicate, to get that shot of dopamine or serotonin that your body has become accustomed to getting when you go there. Now, now here's, here's a distinction I want to make. Numbing out is not the same thing as self-care. Numbing out is not the, self thing, it's the same thing as self-care. Again, to the family with a five-month-old, okay? Maybe the, the safest, best thing that you can do, the healthiest thing that you can do is get yourself a bag of Twizzlers and eat them in the pantry. I think that's not always a bad thing. There's a difference between self-care and numbing out of reality. And Sarah Bessie, who's an author, she, she gives a good description. She said the difference between self-care and self-comfort 
is that self-comfort can sometimes do the numbing out thing. Self-care, the good things, are the things that your mom or a healthy adult in your life has always told you to do. Eat healthy, get eight hours of sleep, go for a walk, talk to someone, eat your vegetables, know that you are loved. Self-care is taking care of yourself. That is a good thing. Numbing out is avoidance at best and idol worship at worst. Now, what does that mean? <laughs> what does idol worship mean? That sounds odd. Well, what it means is, is that to numb out is ultimately to turn to something to get what only God can give from it. It's to turn to something that isn't God or that hasn't been ordained by God and expecting that thing is going to provide what only God can bring. It's expecting that your phone, when you get tied, dove into these videos or scrolling or whatever it is, is going to provide you with peace from whatever it is that's robbing you of your peace in that particular moment. It's expecting that we can buy something or wear something or drive something or live in something that will fulfill the deep things inside of our hearts that need to be fulfilled. It's expecting that staying busy will eventually lead. There's going to come a day where finally I will have gotten all of the kids to where they need to go and I will have done all of the laundry and there will be everything done on my to-do list and I can then put my feet up because I will have arrived and everything will be finished. Is anybody here at that point in their life where they have everything finished? And I want you to raise your hand high because the rest of us are going to invite you over to our house. Okay, because we need help. Jane, I'm not going to, I'm going to pretend like you didn't put your hand up. Okay, <laughs> yeah. I know you've got things to do too. And I know you would help, which is wonderful as well. It, it doesn't work. And, and, and thankfully, the reason we're laughing so much in all these examples is that we know it's true. And we're not alone, right? We've all done this. We've all reached out to certain things to numb us. The Bible is full of examples of people who've done the same thing. Remember Jonah, right? He was called to Nineveh. He runs the other direction, right? His numbing out led to challenges. It led to storms. It led to a big fish. It led even at the end to the struggle with a really bad attitude. And all of it reminds us that there's another option. There's another option when we're challenged. There's another option when we're exhausted. And it might sound counterintuitive, but let me propose it, and then I'll show you in God's word how it might be the better way. And that is that instead of numbing out, we can lean into the situation. We can lean into whatever it is that we're going through. Now, now let me say this, that leaning into our problems does not assume that we're not going to still get hurt by them. I think about Jacob, Israel's forefather, right? He wrestled with God. Remember that story? He wrestled with God and he walked away with a limp, but he also walked away with a blessing. And that's what we're after today. We want the blessing as we lean into the real things in life. And that brings us to our reading in Isaiah. Now, uh, a couple of weeks ago, we started this series in Isaiah 43, and I gave you some context then, so I won't go through all of that. But just to kind of recap, God's people have been in exile under the Babylonian Empire. The Babylonians have taken them away from their home, and at the beginning of Isaiah 41, the Lord is speaking a prophecy to them. His word is sharing with them how he plans to bring them back, to 
restore their peace, to overcome the challenge and obstacle that they are facing. And specifically, it's that he is going to send the king of Persia, which is, his name is Cyrus the Great. He's going to come in, and this is historically true. He's going to come in, he's going to conquer Babylon, and then he's going to free the Jews to go back home to Jerusalem. And, and it's just like our lives. It's not a completely random act. God is working in the midst of details that they have no clue even about. And so let's go just a few verses before our reading today. In Isaiah 41, verse 2, it says this, Who has stirred up this king from the east, rightly calling him to God's service? Who gives this man victory over many nations and permits him to trample their kings underfoot? With his sword, he reduces armies to dust. With his bow, he scatters them like chaff before the wind. He chases them away and goes on safely, though he is walking over unfamiliar ground who has done such mighty deeds summoning each new generation from the beginning of time it is I the Lord the first and the last I alone am he God reminds them that he has been working on their behalf for their rescue behind the scenes and before their eyes, and he will continue to do that good work now just as he always has. But see, even if you know that, even if you believe that promise to be true for you, it's still hard to trust it, isn't it? And I would argue that at the crux of numbing out, when we choose to numb out and grab whatever it is that we grab, instead of leaning into it, I would say that at the core of that is an issue of trust because we don't believe, we're so overwhelmed that we don't believe that we possess what it takes to be able to get through whatever it is we're facing. That's why we're escaping, is that we don't believe that we have what it takes to escape. And so we reach for something else that we think is going to solve our problem. And that's where we get to idols. Now, at this point in Isaiah, um, that's what the people were doing. They were building idols, literally crafting these physical idols and praying to them and hoping that these things would rescue them from what only God can rescue them from. Look at the description here in 41 verse 6. The idol makers encourage one another, saying to each other, be strong. The carver encourages the goldsmith and the molder helps at the anvil. Good, they said. It's coming along fine. Carefully, they join the parts together and they fasten the thing in place so that it won't fall over. See, worshiping idols is hard, isn't it? And so is numbing out. Because first of all, our distractions don't solve anything. They, they don't renew us. They don't fix the problems that we don't want to face. And then when we're done with them, we end up coming back to that problem. And it's just as bad, if not worse, than it was when we left. And now we have less energy. Because we've put all of our energy into whatever it is that we've been numbing out in. And Isaiah, I mean, look at this thing. Like, these guys are master craftsmen. These people that are building solutions that are going to fail. And then they've got community around each other. They're like, you can do it. You can build it. That's a wonderful thing. If I needed somebody to build me a kitchen table, these are the people I would call, right? Like, they are serious about their craft. And so are you. And so am I. I mean, I was reminded of that just this week. My father-in-law called me because he broke his phone. And we were talking about where to get the best deal on a phone. And I was just reminded about how expensive our phones are. 
right? How expensive they are. How expensive anything might be that we use to numb out. And on top of it, then we turn and we enable one another in it. And here's what I mean. I, I, you know what really convicts me most about my phone usage, just as one thing that I use to numb out? It's actually not that screen time thing, um, because I know how to turn that off. I can ignore that. I can do all those things. What's really made it most convicting to me uh, to really be careful how I'm using my phone was that just under a year ago now, we bought a cell phone for our two oldest boys to share for the first time. That's what's brought most, the most conviction to my life in that area. And here's why. When we got them this phone, they have to share it, okay? And we've got all these parameters because it's a big thing when you introduce that into their world. And so, um, so I did all the research and I read all the articles and we had all of these rules like you don't have it at the kitchen table and you leave it on the counter at night and we don't live by all the notifications, right, that pop up every single day all the time. And so we put all of that stuff together for them before we gave them the phone. And what I did not anticipate was that within a couple of weeks, they held us accountable to the same rules we gave them. <laughs> Dad, you're on your phone at the dinner table. And I'm like, what? You told us. You read the article. You said the book. That's not what you're supposed to do. And they're turning us into ourselves. Now, now, what do you do in that, right? Well, we're not perfect parents, and we try very hard not to pretend like we are in front of our kids. We don't want to be hypocrites. And so sometimes it's just easier to look the other way and say, you know what? Well, you know, if you don't say something about me being on my phone, then I won't say something about you being on your phone. And we laugh, right? But is it any different than somebody sitting in a bar, right? It's, it's, it's easier to buy the round of drinks for everybody in the bar than it is to put your drink down. So much easier, which is, which is why it, it, we, we have a difficult time letting go of whatever numbs us. And in order to let go of it, we've got to be able to pick something up instead. And, and what that means is, is that we've got to lean in. What I'm going to propose here is that instead of numbing out, instead we choose to spend our time and our energy to lean in to the problem. And this is what it looks like when my kids call me out on my phone. It looks like me saying to them, you know what, you're right, I broke the rule, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, I did something wrong, you called me out on it, there are no phones at the table. And, and it reminds me of, of the first thing that we need if we're going to lean in and we're going to be able to successfully do this in the bigger challenges of our life, and that is that we've got to acknowledge the problem. You've got to acknowledge the problem and not just acknowledge the symptom. I hope you're not feeling guilty right now. I mean, maybe we're all feeling a little guilty and that twinge is good. But the truth is what we have to ask ourselves is not even so much why I'm turning to whatever that thing might be or what that thing is, but the question is why am I doing it? What am I doing? What am I avoiding in this moment at the dinner table? That I don't want to be fully present with, with my kids, with my wife, with my family. Is it because I'm exhausted? Is it because I'm worried? Is it because I'm anxious? Is it because something's going on in my life and challenging me? There's something that I need to be rescued from, and I've got to acknowledge that thing. And I look at these idol worshipers and these idol makers, and the reason why they put so much into their craft, and it sounds so silly, right, because we don't make idols in our culture today, but the reason they did it was because they really believed it was going to save them. 
They really believed that this could be the thing that would give them the rescue that they need. And so Isaiah, through Isaiah, God says that if you're a person of faith, there's a better thing to reach toward. There's a better solution. There's a better opportunity. Look at verse 8. He says, As for you, Israel, my servant, Jacob, my chosen one, descended from Abraham, my friend, I have called you back from the ends of the earth, saying, You are my servant, for I have chosen you, and I will not throw you away. Do not be afraid, for I am with you. Do not be discouraged, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will hold you up with my victorious right hand. Friends, I told you at the beginning, numbing out is an issue of trust. It's an issue of trust. And to lean in is to have faith that help is on the way. That you do have at your disposal whatever it takes to get through whatever you're facing right now. I'm not saying you're not going to come out without a limp. I'm not saying it's going to be easy. But it is the faith to believe that you do have what it takes. And how can you have that kind of faith? Well, there's two things that you've got to believe at the core of who you are. The first one is this. To lean in, we need forgiveness and grace. We need forgiveness and grace. We can't be transparent about our own weaknesses without forgiveness and grace. We have to have grace for ourselves. And if we don't, then admitting our shortcomings is too painful and none of us will do it. I, I mean, it's like my kids, right? right? If I don't give myself grace, myself, in my relationship with God, in healthy relationship with other believers, between my wife and I, if I am not immersing myself in the grace of God and they call me out because I'm looking at my cell phone at the dinner table, instead of saying I'm sorry, that'll be too painful, I look at them and I say, mind your own business. Do as I say, not as I do. Who pays for your cell phone bill? Not that I've ever said that to my kids ever before. Proverbs 28, 13 says this. Whoever conceals their sins does not prosper, but the one who confesses and renounces them finds mercy. Now, as a parent, I don't want to suggest, and to the parents here in the room, that we shouldn't be doing everything we can to strive to be the best example we can be for our kids. But I do want to say, and I, I find a way to say this almost every Father's Day and should probably every Mother's Day as well, that maybe the best example that we can be to our kids is to show them that it's okay to not be okay sometimes. It's okay to admit when you're wrong. It's okay to say, I messed up. It's okay to say, there are rules that I do believe in, and I believe that these are the rules that God has given us that help us to flourish, and at the very same time, I struggle to follow them too. That I struggle to, struggle to grab things to numb me instead of leaning on God. And when we open ourselves up to living like that, and having the grace and forgiveness for ourselves and receiving it from God that we need to own up to our shortcomings and our mistakes. It opens us up to God's grace and mercy, which is what we need to continue on the path to lean into whatever it is that we're facing. Isaiah 41, 17. The poor and needy search for water, but there is none. Their tongues are parched with thirst, but I, the Lord, will answer them. I, the God of Israel, will not forsake them. And I love the promise here. The promise is not that they're not thirsty. 
The promise is not to ignore the fact that they have real needs, that their reality is a significant challenge. But the promise here is to lean in and accept grace and forgiveness that you will need to know that you can trust that God is going to do what only he can do. And the second thing that we learn from that is that you can't lean in alone. You can't lean in alone. You need God, but you also are going to need other people if you want to live this kind of life. i got to sit next to parents who mess up too so that I remember that I'm not the only parent that's making mistakes. I need to be around people who also numb out in the ways that I numb out so that I know that we agree that there's a better way and we can spur one another on. Just, just last weekend, just yesterday, I was talking to my neighbor. Last weekend, uh, my neighbor, he's a handy guy. He's, he's, he's um, putting all new siding on, on his house. And he was up, and thankfully we only live in ranches, okay? He was on a, he's, he's got a ranch, but he was putting the, the very top of the side of his house, he was putting the siding on. And so in order to do that, he needed to be up on a 14-foot on a ladder that was up on scaffolding. Like, that's how high he was. And he fell. And he's okay, I just want to tell you this. He fell, but he was up on a 14-foot ladder on scaffolding, and the whole thing came down, and he fell. And other than, I mean, just really bruised up, four hours in the emergency room, they looked for internal bleeding, all kinds of stuff. He said, he told me, he said, by the grace of God, God was there to protect me, that I'm okay. And, and I looked at him, and I said, how did it happen? <laughs> like, he's been up on that scaffolding for weeks. He's been working on this project. How did it happen? And he looked at me, and he said, very simply, he said, I didn't have anybody holding the ladder. I didn't have anybody holding the scaffolding. And because I didn't have anybody holding on to it, it fell. And I thought, that's going to preach tomorrow. (laughs) Because how often do I do the same thing? How often do we face challenges in our lives? And we know we don't want to numb out, right? We don't want to choose those things, but we don't know what else to do. And, and, And so I want you to hear today, if you're here and you're numbing out and you're choosing a better way, and you say, I want to lean in. I want you to know that you're going to need God, but you're going to need other people. You can't do it alone. Alcoholics Anonymous is not based on 12 steps you can do by yourself. You need other people. And sometimes it's as simple as having somebody else hold the ladder. Sometimes it's going to therapy. Sometimes it's a pastor, or sometimes it's a friend who's leaned into the same problems you're facing, and they can show you that the better way really does lead to a better place. I think, man, if the idol worshipers, if the idol builders had to encourage and spur themselves on together, shouldn't Christians have to spur each other on together too? And so what does that look like? How do we encourage each other? Well, so often Christianity seems to be about encouraging each other by pointing out our faults. But what I would see is the better way to encourage one another is to say you can do it. We can own each other's shortcomings because we all make mistakes and we are here gathered together to be reminded that we have been forgiven. And so we hold the ladder for each other as we lean into a better way. And the only reason any of us can lean into that better way is not because any of us are better than anybody else, but it's because the gospel tells us that God has leaned into us first. One of my favorite verses in the Gospels is John 15. It says this. Jesus said this to the disciples. He said, you did not choose me, but I chose you. And I love that. 
Because it reminds me every single time I think I've got to earn God's love that at the end of the day, he chose me before I ever had the chance to choose him. The same is true for us as it was for them. You did not choose me, but I chose you, and I appointed you. You have been appointed by God to lean in. You have been appointed by God to survive your struggles. You have been appointed by God to overcome the challenges that you're facing that only God can carry you through because you are chosen. I have chosen you, he says. I have appointed you that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. And what is it? This is my command. Say those words with me. Love each other. That's what it means to lean in. That's what it means to lean in. Jesus said, greatest commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and then love your neighbor, say the last part with me if you know it out loud, as yourself. Extend grace to your neighbor. Why are you extending grace to your neighbor? Because you're forgiving yourself. Why are you forgiving yourself? Because God has forgiven you. Why has God forgiven you? Because he loves you. Because he chose you. Because he has appointed you to bear the fruit that gives you what it takes to lean into the challenges of this life and to know that you are not alone because at the end of the day, it is Jesus himself who has leaned his life into yours to make yours and his one. He leans with his presence into your challenges to invite you to a better way of live, to live. He leans into our sins by washing them away with with his blood and he leans into our death with a resurrected life that we get invited into to join with him forever. Friends, life is a journey. Life is a journey. Faith is a journey. But it's too short to numb out. And so the invitation of God is that you don't have to wait until you've met him in glory and he has invited you into that resurrected life in heaven with him forever. You can begin to experience the hope of that life right now if you lean in the way he has leaned into us. And so let's, let's pray about that right now. I'd like to encourage you to pray and just, just bow your heads and if it's helpful to focus, close your eyes or... As I often do, if you're here in church, focus on the cross. Just look at it. And God, we ask you, as we come before you to pray, we ask you to show us whatever it is that might be challenging us on this particular day. What in our lives has become so overwhelming that we don't think we have what it takes, and so we choose instead to escape from it. Help us to acknowledge not the thing we're using to numb ourselves out, but help us to get deeper than that. Where are we lonely? Where are we sad? Where are we frustrated? Where are we feeling shame? Where are we feeling guilt? Where are we feeling pain and grief? It's Mother's Day. Is this a difficult day? It is for some of us. There's places in our lives where we long to be with a mother or to have the mother we never had or to be a mother. 
Lord God, I think about motherhood as, as a foster family, as, as a father of, of adopted children. And I think to myself, this world is just so complicated and painful and beautiful all at the same time. And so, God, we bring before you whatever it is that we're facing right now, whatever we feel the desire to numb out from and to escape and to grab onto an idol, and we pray that you would show us a better way. Give us the faith that we need to trust that you will give us what it takes to follow you. Your word says, I will make rivers flow on barren heights and springs within the valleys. I will turn the desert into pools of water and parched ground springs. We are people who are parched, thirsty, and we are all guilty of drinking from wells that have left us more thirsty than when we came. And so help us to lean in. Help us to acknowledge the place that we are today and acknowledge that it is not the place that we are going because in you, you have us on a journey of faith that leads to our salvation. And so we put our faith and trust in you and it is in your name that we pray. Amen. I'd like to invite our family to come up here with little Campbell. The sponsors, everybody want to come on up and we are so excited. What a privilege it is today that we get to celebrate this baptism. The little Campbell Quinn, I love that name, that that as children and adults, as we're invited into the family of God, we are through the waters of holy baptism, and these waters remind us that as an infant is baptized, that just as Jesus died and rose again on the third day, Campbell is going to die in the waters of baptism and be brought forth to new life in him. And he'll be marked with the cross of Christ so that the seed of faith is planted so that he, as he comes of age, may call Jesus as his Lord and Savior and lean into him as Jesus has leaned into his precious son. And so at this time, um, we recognize here that you folks that are standing before us, you have the most significant role in Campbell's life to learn how to follow Jesus. And so I want you to invite, or I want, I want to invite you to introduce yourselves. You can share your name and your relationship to this little guy right here. My name is Leah Berg, and I'm Campbell's mom. My name is Casey. I'm Campbell's dad. My name is Jamie. I'm Casey's sister and Campbell's aunt. My name is David. I am Jamie's fiance and Campbell's almost, but I like to think of myself as an uncle. Annika, Campbell's auntie. Blake Olenek, uh, Campbell's uncle. Awesome. I'm going to let you hang on to that if you would like, and you can leave it on even, um, because next what you're going to do is you're going to be making some promises, promises in the way in which you're going to be raising Campbell Quinn in the life of faith. And so as those promises come forward here up on the screen, if you would, all of you, recite them out loud before the assembly of believers.
Um, most of you probably don't know, but uh, Campbell's brother and his dad were baptized in the same place on Father's Day um, back in 2017, 18. And so what a privilege that this is to welcome him into the family of God. If you'd like to bring him over at this time and hold him over the water's edge, Campbell, I baptize you in the name of our God, who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We mark you with the cross of Christ as a son of God adopted into his family forever with Jesus. I was told that he likes baths, and it looks like that's very true. Campbell, we recognize that this promise for you isn't just for you, but this seed of faith that has been planted inside of you as it grows, and as it is watered by the presence of God's very Holy Spirit inside of you, will well up through your life and through your gifts that you might not just find the strength to lean into your own challenges, Campbell, like staying awake during a baptism, right? <laughs> but the promise of God is what Jesus said, that, Campbell, your light is going to so shine before men that they're going to see your good deeds and they're going to praise your Father in heaven. I'm going to give this to your dad right now. We also have for you up front here from our quilters, we have a, a quilt. And we would call this a holy comforter because it is our hope that just as our wonderful ladies prayed over every stitch of this quilt, that Campbell would be reminded that he is not alone, but that God is with him forever. And so if he, if he will let me take him, I'll, I'll grab hold of him right here. And it is my humble privilege to be the first to introduce to you Campbell Quinn as the newest member of the Christian Church. Let's celebrate. He did so well. There you go. You guys can be seated. Even if you want to run. He didn't do that for his baptism. I remember that. Thank you. I'm often reminded that in our church we have two, two sacraments, baptism and holy communion. They're things that we are taught through scripture, through God's word that Jesus himself instituted. It's a practice that he has given us to remind us of the promise that he is with us forever and it is his presence and a means of his grace that comes through this meal and through these waters. And so I want you to remember that truth that you might be sustained to lean into the life that you face today as we remember this truth by taking the bread that Jesus took with his disciples 2,000 years ago on the night that he was betrayed and broke. As he broke that bread, he said to them, and he says to us, take and eat. This is my body broken for you and for all people for the forgiveness of sins. Whenever you eat this, remember me. After the supper, Jesus took the cup of blessing, gave thanks and gave it for all to drink and said, take and drink this cup. It's the new covenant in my blood shed for you and for all people for the forgiveness of sins. Whenever you drink this, remember me. 
For as often as we eat this bread and as often as we drink from this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again, being reminded that he is with us. And if you believe that to be true, no matter what your background